Hello, and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. Father, thanks for uh, today. Uh, thank you, Father, that we can, we've been able to come and, and sing and worship you. And uh, Father, we, we thank you for Father's Day. Uh, we th- we uh, just want to pray for our families. It seems like a really worthwhile thing to do to stop and, and to um, think about the family because you are, you are God. You, in your wisdom, created uh, this world with structures and uh, things in place and the family is very much at the heart of that. We read about it in Genesis 2, the first man, the first woman and... Uh, to charge to go forth and to multiply an institution of marriage and, and all of that. And look, we, we think about our world where that is so much under attack in many ways, in many quarters, and just just a really, uh, I guess, just a world that doesn't take that as seriously as, as it should. Lord, may our hearts be heavy about that and may our, may our um, commitment to you just... Um, for those of us who love you, to, to be strong and to uh, trust you with, with all of that and to strive to be uh, husbands and fathers and mums and, and wives and everything, Lord, that we should be. We just commit it to you. Lord, help us to shine in our world, uh, really promote the gospel that people would, would see, even through our own families, the beauty of the gospel. And Lord, as we come to this text today as well, we just pray that you'd really, you, would, you would speak to us and help us with it. Uh, to be to communicated clearly and, and Lord, that you just um, continue to change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, uh, as I come to uh, the sermon, I was thinking, well, there's really two things on my mind uh, and they are one, it's Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to the dads that are out there. But secondly, uh, we are week two into a series on faith. And both of those things, Father's Day and faith, come together today because we're looking at the story of Abraham, uh, the father of faith. So it kind of worked out pretty well that it was just this Sunday that we're doing that. I think it's really important. It's actually, it's a good thought, isn't it, this one here. I just want to unpack it a little bit. I reckon um, as a father, you know, true for, for all parents, I'm sure that the first time you ever held your child or children in your arms, you probably thought to yourself, I thought to myself, I want to be a really good father for this child. You know, I want to be there for them. I want to see them go really well. That's just the the natural reality of being a parent, holding that helpless child for the first time. And in reality, over the years, there's probably been lots of wins. There's been uh, times when I've really been there for my kids, you know, and, I've, and uh, I've shown them gentleness and I've been really loving toward them and, and uh, listened to them and done things with them and helped them and it's been really good. But there's also, truthfully, there's been losses as well. Ah, there's been lots of times when I've been too busy uh, and uh, I haven't given them the time that I should have or I've overreacted to different things. Lots of stories like that as well. And I was reflecting on it this week. I thought, you know, being a parent is more than just, or being a good dad is more than just having, 
you know, the win and loss record and sort of having more in the wins rather than the losses. It's more than that because I reckon I could be the best dad in the world. I could be a dad who just, you know, ticks the boxes 90% of the time and does really well, but still fail in some really significant areas. And one of the really significant areas that we can fail in and often we do is that of faith. Yeah. As I read through Hebrews 11, one of the points of it and the point so often throughout the Bible when we stop and we look at all these great men and women that have trusted God over the years is that they are to be an example to us. That's the point of Hebrews 11. It is that we have people in the Bible that are examples of faith that we're supposed to look to and be inspired by and, you know, to say, just look at that person that I've trusted in God. You know, that's, that's something that just is to inspire me to step up further. And then I think, I think, you know, just it would be nice, wouldn't it, for my name to be penciled in there, at least in my children's lives, as somebody that's an inspiration of faith. And so that's really what I was to think about today as we come to the story of Abraham. What does it really mean to live by faith as Abraham did? You know, what can we learn from him, whether we were parents or not? You know, what does living by faith really look like? And Abraham gives us this great story. And really, there's a few points I want us to just reflect on, on this rather brisk Father's Day morning in the gym. It never fails, but, you know, we're moving out of it, fortunately. And next week's family camp, the week after, we're in the nice, warm, air-conditioned activity centre and back here, and I'm sure it'll be balmy by then. But stay with me today and as we work through this passage. Some of the things about Abraham's faith, there's this... Uh, the faith of Abraham is one that's devoted. That's one of the things I see. It's a really devoted faith. It's also a faith that's very much fo- focused on the future and it's a faith that's obedient. Those things really struck me as I was working my way through this text this week. A devoted faith. This is how it goes. Just listen to the way that the writer of Hebrews unpacks this. In verse 8 and 9, let me just read those two verses to you again. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go to a place that he, would, that he was to receive as an inheritance, and when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. That passage is really just unpacking to us, reminding us of the story of Genesis, isn't it? Uh, and the story of Genesis with Abraham, just it goes like this. Abraham lived in Mesopotamia, okay? That's where he grew up. Uh, that's where his family was. That's, that's where he was known. That's where his identity was. It was his community. He had no doubt, we're not really told a lot of story about Abraham at that point, but no doubt the truth is that he had his community there and all the things that go with being in a community. But then when he was aged... God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, this is the Abrahamic covenant, follow me, go to a land that I will show you. So it's future tense. He doesn't actually know much about it or anything about it. And then the story goes on there, I'll give you a land, I'll make you a great nation and through you, all the world will be blessed. And so at age 75, Abraham leaves for Canaan and clearly he doesn't know anything about it. You know, it is a different country. In those days, it was far enough away to be a different world. 
And he lives there, and it says that he is, during the rest of his life, he is a foreigner. He is, an, he is a, uh, a pilgrim, if you like, in that land, just traveling through. In fact, other than a burial site, he never ever owns any land in Canaan for the rest of his life, neither does his, his son or his grandson. So I think about it, I think, well, that's, that's a pretty big deal, really, isn't it? You know, the older we get, the less risks we want to take. The more we want security, the more we, you know, we want comfort. Uh, and yet, you know, when you look at, you know, you look at uh, retirees, those reaching retirement age, there's a lot of people that buy caravans and four-wheel drives and travel around Australia, which is a really nice thing to do. But you don't see too many retirees saying, I'm going to sell my home, I'm going to move to a different country where my family isn't, where I know nobody, and I'm going to set up home there for the rest of my life. And that's pretty much what Abraham does. You know, and so there's a big shout out to him in Hebrews because he is a man who has this devoted faith to God and he does something pretty incredible in that regard. He's an example to us in that way. But it's not really, that's not really where the story ends, is it? Because it goes on and it goes on through the Bible reading today. The biggest test of faith for Abraham is what would come later. God gives him the son, Isaac. And we know how the story goes. You know, he's, he's 100 years old and his wife is 90. And it's been years and years since God has promised that he's going, he and Sarah are going to have this son. But God keeps on coming back to it, circling back to it when Abraham sort of starts questioning and getting a bit wobbly. And God says, no, I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. And then when he is, as I said, 100 and she's 90, well past anything that you could expect, the child is born. And they call him Isaac, which means laughter, because there is so much joy around that. Here's the apple of Abraham's eye. But then the test comes, doesn't it? Just when the child is a teenager, God says to Abraham, Abraham, offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. So that's, we're probably used to hearing that, because I reckon most of us, as I look around the room today, uh, have grown up in church or have been around church a long time, and maybe there's one or two that don't really know that story. But it, when you hear those words, Abraham, offer up your son as a sacrifice, it, it sends a shiver through your spine. You know, I reckon that people would think, what sort of God is this that would command that, that he should offer up his son as a human sacrifice? I mean, it's a, that's a huge thing. It's a ridiculous thing. I mean, God's against that sort of thing. But in this case, he tells him to do it. And the thing we have to remember is there's, a, there's something going on here. Uh, and the thing that we also need to know is that not only is something going on here, but Abraham is also aware of the something that's going on. Because that's how it goes in Hebrews. Did you notice that when Lexi read to us? It, it's, it tells us about that story. And it plays it out really well. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. So this is the test. When he was tested, he offered up Isaac, he who had received the promises. So I was talking about Abraham. Abraham, who's received the promises of God, are going to make you a great nation. When he was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. So there's all these promises, and Abraham is well aware of these. It says that Abraham at that point when he was offering up Isaac, he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
So it's great, isn't it? That's how the story goes. You know, here is Abraham offering up Isaac, and when the knife is ready to be plunged into Isaac's chest, God says, stop, don't harm the boy. And he provides you know, a ram instead. But it's like Abraham knew. He just knew that at any point, God is going to step in here or God is going to bring him back from the dead because I know that God has promised and I'm just going to trust him. And that's what this story is about. It's about this devotion. Abraham has this trust in God that God is faithful. And so he says, I'm just going to follow him. And that's, again, what that story is about. It's important for us to hear that these are Bible stories, but we have to always ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to us? You know, what impact does it have in our lives? And I think, oh, this is also worth remembering what's going on in the book of Hebrews. Remember, we talked about it last week as we started the series. These, these Christians to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing, these are people that are going through great difficulty. You know, they, they are facing persecution. They are on the verge of being martyred for their faith and they know it's coming. And so as a result of that, some of them are thinking about turning away from following Jesus and going back to Judaism because it was easier. They were protected under the law at least and Christians weren't, it seems, at this point in time. And so the writer of the Hebrews is saying, now remember the devotion of Abraham. Trust God. That's their story. But what about our story? What about us? What's going on? How does this relate to us? We're not on the verge of being martyred. There's a lot more persecution, if you like, or opposition, probably a better word, going on. But I reckon the greatest challenge for us, as I was reflecting on this, the greatest challenge for us is probably nominalism, is comfortable Christianity. And that's just how it is, isn't it? We, you know, what is that? What does it mean? I think nominalism says, I like following Jesus because it makes me feel secure. You know, maybe my family, it's the way I've grown up. You know, uh, there's certain things about it I really like and, and I, I'm hanging on to that. But then something else comes and we kind of just like that more. And so we, we tend to get a bit soft around the edges. We don't throw Jesus out. But we just get soft around the edges on those things. See, I reckon that's our greatest challenge. I reckon this is where that speaks to us. And what are some of the things where that shows up, that sort of nominalism, do you reckon? Well, I think it, it, can, nom- it can show up in the forbidden relationship, you know, the person on the screen or maybe the person in the office. You know, we've let them into our heart. You know, we're looking at things we shouldn't be looking at. I think it's so alluring, so we go after that sort of thing sometimes and we, you know, we, we make excuses for those things. Another big one for us in Australia is materialism. It's just, you know, we, we're so blessed, we're so wealthy. But probably one of the greatest challenges we have is, you know, we, we sometimes get ourselves into more debt than what we should. It's pretty hard not to be in debt at all if you're going to have a, a home and all that sort of stuff. We're not against that sort of thing. But sometimes we're so materialistic, we think we need more than what we actually do. And we get ourselves in debt to the point that we can't actually use our money for serving God because we're too strung out trying to pay for everything else that we've got. And I reckon that's nominalism sometimes too. We just really, we can be really quick to sort of dismiss where God sits in things because this world is always telling us that we need to have more. So there are a couple of examples. Maybe another example, well, I think this is a very 
a worthwhile thought, you know, a, a fair enough thought. I reckon one of the other reasons, or one of the other places where we can be nominal is about unwise decisions. You know, we can, we can go after things that we, could, we might well justify and we think, well, it's not really a sin, but we do know very well that it's not going to help us in following Jesus. You know, it's, it's probably going to lead us astray. It's probably going to capture our heart more so than what God's going to capture our heart. And I reckon the other things that we, we need to struggle with, look at the story of Abraham here. And here's a man that has this devoted faith. That's the point that's really going on. He says, I'm going to trust God more than anything because he is the one that's worth giving my life to. I reckon that's worth thinking about. Where do we sit on those things? You know, how, how genuine is our faith? We said last week, the greatest thing, the most important thing in all the world is a genuine faith in God. So, so why is it that it matters so much? I guess that's the second point. And, and the second point really is around the idea of, of Abraham having a faith that was futuristic. This is how it goes in verse 13. These all died in faith. He's talking about Abraham and Sarah and, and Jacob and Isaac, I take it. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, that is through faith, and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's how they thought about themselves. It's worth just hearing that. They saw themselves as strangers and exiles. Pilgrims, again, is the, is the word really that we might use in English, sort of that idea. They're just sojourners. For people who speak thus, that are prepared to be exiles and strangers on the earth, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the home of, of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to go back to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Oh, they're good words, aren't they? You know, decide, they decide not to go back. They realize there's a better country, a heavenly one. God's not ashamed to be called their God. He's prepared for them a city. I like verse 10 as well. Just go back a few verses. Talking about Abraham again, it says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It's kind of like, I was reading now, it's kind of like a slap in the face to everything else. You know, he was looking forward to a city that has foundations. I reckon we, we think there's foundations in other things. You know, we... We, we reckon there's lots of things that are worth putting our roots into and hanging onto, but it actually says here, now he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. It's kind of like there's only one place that has foundations. There's only one place that is worth building your life on, and, the, and that's the thing of God. That's what is going on there. You know, Abraham has this faith. The reason why he's prepared to trust God and give it all up, which is what he does, And God is asking us to have the same devoted faith. That's the point of what's going on here. The reason why Abraham does that is because he is a man that has this eternal perspective. Eternity. It's a really important thought, isn't it? It's actually a really sobering thought, this idea of eternity. 
It's worth just stopping and thinking about it this morning. Because eternity tells us that there is no end to your existence. It just, it just doesn't come to an end. There's actually no big sleep at the end of your life. It's, you know, that's kind of what we think. You know, he's, in, he's having the big sleep. They're dead. You know, they're in the grave. But no, no, that's not what the Bible tells us. It says there's, there's actually no big sleep. But there is an eternity. And it's either going to be an eternity which is a horror or it's going to be an eternity which is the greatest joy. You know, one day we stand before God and either we're clothed in Jesus or we're completely naked as we stand before him because God is the judge. You know, that's, that's the idea. He's, he's exacting. He's, he is right. Um, he takes us seriously and we have to give an account for our lives before him. He's the judge, but he's also the God who loves us and he actually made us for a relationship with him and he made us uh, to, to dwell with him and to walk with him. And that's the whole story of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus comes and, and he takes on human flesh and, and he dies in our place. It's probably one of those things that doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but it actually does make all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Is that we, we have to answer to God for the things that we've done. But Jesus, this is mind-boggling really, he's we were talking about it at school group on, on Wednesday night. It was just really good to reflect on it. We were talking about the fact that it's just how great God is. You know, he's sovereign. He knows everything. Um, we, were, we were chatting about this quote from C.H. Spurgeon. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but there was this picture of a, of a steamboat and you've got uh, the big wheel going around, you know, the old-fashioned boats in the, in the river and, and there's all this water flying off the wheel. And Spurgeon's quote was that God is all-knowing to the point that he knows beforehand every one of those droplets and where they would land because he is that great. I was talking to another friend about that a few years ago and he said, I think that's a bit over the top, you know, that that God would know that much detail. And I I think, yeah, well, maybe, but I don't think so. I don't think it's over the top at all. I think it's actually that God is so great, you know, that we can't begin to fathom how great he is. That, that's how great he is. Like he, he is the universe's existence. He's, he's outside of this universe and he holds everything. I, when I start thinking about God like that, you know, my mind blows up, quite frankly. It's just like, I, don't, I can't understand that. But that's precisely it. Your mind will blow up. God is unknowable. I mean, he's, he's shown himself to us, revealed some things, but he's just unknowable because he's so great. He's the triune God. But the second person of the Trinity, that God, comes to earth and takes on human flesh and dies in your place and suffers a very real suffering. It wasn't make-believe. It wasn't, oh, well, he's God. So, you know, how hard can it be? It's not like that. He was fully human and fully God, and he died in your place because he loves you. See, I reckon that's supposed to capture your imagination. That's supposed to change you. And, it, and the thing about Abraham here is that he doesn't even know all of that. But God's revealed himself to him to some degree. He's seen a glimpse of God. You know, and, and the words here is, is happy to be a stranger and an alien. Why? Because God's captured his imagination. He's seen a glimmer of God and he said, wow, God is so great that I'm going to live for him. See, 
it, being a Christian is not like, well, you know, it's kind of like a selfish thing, you know, follow Jesus and you get to have heaven, you know. It's not like that. It's actually just being captured by the greatness of God. And seeing, when you get a sense of how great God is, the magnitude of him, you think, I, I don't want to give my life to anything else. I want to give my life to him because actually it's about eternity. That sobering thought, it is about eternity. I'm going to stand before him one day. But he actually does love me and he's calling me in to be part of his family. Eternity. We need to remember that. I reckon one of the... I genuinely think this. I've thought this for a long time. I reckon this is one of the greatest gifts that God gave Australia was January 1, 2000. Do you remember those of us that are old enough? Because I think, ah, that was 21 years ago. Surely not. No, but it was. 21 years ago. Wow. Remember Sydney Harbour Bridge? In fact, I got, got the photo. And, and this big eternity sign lit up Sydney Harbour Bridge because it was the new millennium. And I guess people thought that was cute, but probably most of us know the story behind that. But if you don't, let me just tell you the story. It's the story of, of this bloke, Arthur Stace. See, Arthur Stace, is, he's a war, returned war veteran, doing life hard, alcoholic, out of control. 1930, he goes to church. Here's a bloke by the name of John Ridley preaching, who's a standout preacher, and John Ridley's sermon title is Echoes of Eternity. And he says, the preacher says, if only I could shout this out into the ears of every person in Sydney, which is where they were, you know, this idea of eternity, eternity, eternity. Remember those words. And Stace gets converted, converted that night, alcoholic, turns his life around, follows Jesus, He's illiterate, can hardly write his name, but for the next 35 years, he goes through Sydney writing with a piece of chalk that word, eternity, exactly as they put it on the bridge, just to remind people of the reality of eternity. And I reckon the fact that the year 2000 ends up on the Sydney Harbour Bridge is kind of a God thing. It's kind of like a shout-out to Arthur Stace, because not only all Sydney saw it, but all of Australia saw it. Not only all of Australia saw it, but they were beaming the footage of people's fireworks around the world. All of the world saw that. And that's the story behind it. Eternity. See, it's kind of like God shows up at different times and he reminds us of things. And I'm pretty sure God was showing up that night and reminding us of the great reality of eternity, that we stand before God but also the great reminder of how great God is. And he is just worth your imagination. He is worth following. He's worth your devotion because how great he is. And it's really a big point of this sermon, devotion, a devoted faith. And so I guess the question is, what are we doing? What are you doing to keep that sharp? You know, we talked about last week, common grace, things like reading the Bible and coming to church, we just need to make sure that we're, we're hearing it because there's a lot of other voices that are going to be drawing me away, that are going to be drawing you away and making us think that other things are actually bigger than what they really are. But no, this is the biggest story. This is the greatest thing. And the third point, just really briefly, is that Abraham has this obedient faith. 
It's verse 8. It's just really the first four words of verse 8. But they're worth hearing again. By faith, Abraham obeyed. See, the truth is, as we talk about a devoted faith, we also need to remember that a faith that is real is a faith that is obedient. We're saved by grace apart from works. We can't earn it. It's given to us as a gift. But a faith that's real is always a faith that obeys. See, we, we, we do deceive ourselves when we think, oh, I can just live however I like. You know, I, I'm following Jesus, but, you know, I'll just go after these other things. It's, there's something really wrong with that. Again, on Wednesday night, Wednesday night was just one of those good uh, small group nights, wasn't it, Neural? And um, my friend Phil was telling me about a sermon that he heard years ago. He said, some sermons just stick in your mind. And he said, this, this sermon was called A U-Turn Faith. And, and they said, the preacher was saying that all of our life, God is calling us to make U-turns. You know, every day of our life, he's calling us to stop and to come back after him because we go in the wrong direction. And that's just it, isn't it? If, if, if we love Jesus, if we're his children, you can guarantee that God will be calling you to make U-turns in your life. And the, the question is, are you listening to that? If there's no voice, then maybe you don't really belong to Jesus at all. But if God is calling out to you, That is what you need to listen to. Do you need to make a U-turn in your life to be devoted to him, to live for him? Because nothing else matters. And if you do, today is a really good day to do something about that because the greatest thing you can do is to follow Jesus. So what do we learn about faith, whether we're parents or not? You know, if I want to be an example to my children, I think, oh, this is good, a devoted faith to put Jesus first, to live for him because eternity matters and God is so great. He's the one worth following. And I want my kids to see that as well. But whether you're a parent or not, the truth still remains. This is what it is to have a faith like Abraham. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this little story, these few verses, but the deep challenge that they really are and I pray that we would be real about our faith, that we would um, be honest before you. And we, we would put some things, you know, under the microscope, I suppose. Let you speak into our life. Be prepared to make U-turns because you are the one who is so great that you're beyond all that we can understand. There is nothing greater and you're trustworthy. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our lives, change us, help us to live for you. And Lord, to shine like stars in a dark night for your glory. All these things we commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen.